Good afternoon. I'm T. Hetzel, and you're listening to Living Writers. Today on the program, I'm so pleased to have uh, Christine Ryan here in the studio with her first book of poems, Wild Flight. Welcome, Christine. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Oh, well, it's great. It's great to see you, and thanks for coming on this beautiful... It's It really feels like autumn now, doesn't it? Uh, the, the autumn's here, but... Right, the sun's changing, but today's, today's <laughs> yeah. nice and warm. The quality of light, isn't it? It's, right. it's getting a little earlier, that, that beautiful time. Um, and I should say also thanks to uh, Alex the Lazy DJ for bringing us on in to this, our, our hour uh, on WCBN. Um, and welcome to Hugh, uh, new engineer at the helm there. Uh, and so, okay, well, without further ado, Christine, I'm going to, to read your bio out of the back of the book, um, which, let's see, I should say, uh, the book has won a prize already, and and that's that's and that's in the publishing of it, right? Right. right. Um, the Walt McDonald First Book Series in Poetry. Correct. So it's been chosen. Yes. From among many, <laughs> um, Christine Ryan, formerly a mechanical engineer in Detroit's automotive industry, lives in Brighton, Michigan. Her poems have appeared in the Gettysburg Review, Michigan Quarterly Review, and the Southern Review, and have been selected for Poetry Daily and Best New Poets 2007. Um, and the book was, I should say, published this year by Texas Tech University Press. Um, so let's fill in more of your biography because okay. that's kind of that's the bare bones, right? Where, but but good to know where you could find some of these poems in their their first incarnations, right? Too. Um, uh, let's start where it's really obvious. You've had a non-traditional route to the 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 first book of poems. Um, have you always been writing poems? For example, whilst you were uh, <laughs> mechanical engineering. Well. I always wanted to be a writer when I was a child and a teenager. I enjoyed writing stories and poems, um, but I also enjoyed my math and science classes. And so I was encouraged to study engineering, and I ended up at an engineering school. I went to um, General Motors Institute in Flint, Michigan, which is now Kettering University. Oh, okay. And um, received my bachelor's in mechanical engineering. And although the desire to write was always there, it, it just got put on the back burner for those years of career and then the early years of motherhood. And, um, but it never, you know, went away. And so, uh, after it's funny how that goes, right? isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Something just won't let you alone. So, um, after becoming a stay at home mom, uh, in 1997, both my boys were in school all day in elementary school, and I decided, well, if I'm ever going to give this a try, although I looked at it as a hobby at that point, um, now was the time. So I took a class at uh, Schoolcraft Community College and discovered contemporary poetry and pretty much fell in love with it. And So uh, you say discovered contemporary poetry. Does that mean, Christine, that um, when these years were passing, it's, were, were, you, were you reading um, kind of the, the, the old masters? <laughs> or, or were you sort of, was poetry, was it disconnected from your life? Or, right. So, Which is very hard for me to believe now because now, now it's living taken over my life. <laughs> but, but um, yes. Um, well, there are worse things. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, um, no, I, I I mean, I had read some poetry in high school, but it wasn't a, a strong 
folk at my school, and so and in engineering school there weren't any English class or many liberal arts classes. So, um, right. And so my reading was basically fiction and nonfiction. Um, my reading for pleasure, and also many children's books I was reading at the time. <laughs> but uh, but like I said, once I discovered uh, poetry, then I, I really started reading it almost solely. And, 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 and what was it? What class was it that you took? Um, it, it was just an adult ed uh, yeah. creative writing class, um, both short stories and poetry. And um, and I thought, well, I, I could probably fill a page a week, you know. And so I, I just decided to try the poetry. And um, it all sounds kind of funny now. But um, but uh, and, and I quickly, you know, um, just found poets that I, whose work I so admired that I, I just felt like, oh, I wish I could write like that. And, and who were some of those, Christine? Um, that can well, uh, one whose book I devoured over and over was uh, Liesl Mueller, and her Pulitzer Prize-winning book *Alive Together* is um, was a big influence. And then, I mean, there have been so many, but I slowly started discovering. Other poets um, from Detroit, Philip Levine, and uh, and here in Ann Arbor, Bob Hickok, and um, and I was fortunate to then slowly have the opportunity through different workshops and writers' conferences to meet and study with people. And um, so, yeah, so. could you take us through that a little bit in your 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 writers' history then? Because so you, so you took this initial class and then you began reading the contemporary poetry. And started subscribing to journals and and things like that that I had known nothing about before. And and then I I joined an organization called uh, Metro Detroit Writers. It's under uh, Spring-Fed Arts, and uh, it's a wonderful organization of writers in the Detroit area. And I... um, I've been taking a, work, a workshop through uh, through that organization with Mary Jo Firth Gillette, uh, who's a poet from Pleasant Ridge. And, and I think us, you mentioned her, right? In, in she's um, I mentioned her because in my the beginning of the book because I owe a lot to her. She's a outstanding poet and an exceptional teacher. I've, I've, I would have never made as much progress so quickly without her. So. Uh-huh. Uh, um, and so, so really, I mean, this is kind of amazing. Have you done this in many aspects of your life, Christine, or is this completely unusual? And it's happened with poems, because, or is this something how you've you've kind of fastened onto something or come to something, and then you're immersed in it? Because it seems like you're not messing around. You take this class, and then suddenly. It, it lights a fire, basically, right? Right. I mean, what started as a hobby grew into much more and a, and a very serious pursuit pretty quickly. But um, I wouldn't say, no, I have other hobbies like cooking and gardening, and they haven't <laughs> quite uh, had the same trajectory as this well, right. pursuit has. So. Um, does it feel at all like a coming home in a way with finding yes. when you're actually doing the, 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 the actual work itself of the, the sitting down with the, the writing? Yes. I mean, uh, it's... It, I'm still pinching myself that I that I have a book and that I've been successful at it because I dreamed of it for so long and and wasn't writing for many years and so uh, it's it's I feel I feel very fortunate that I've been able to to do this and uh, and and have some success with it too so it's been very rewarding and uh, and readings uh, are the extra reward you know when you actually 
reading to a live audience and connecting with people. It's very, very nice. And we'll be hearing a few of your poems later on the program, right, Christine? Right. Okay, so so everyone should stay tuned for those. Um, and you have a reading coming up at Shaman Drum on sep- Tuesday, September 23rd. Yes. Yes, so at 7 so o'clock. Next week. Right. Um, so everyone can put that on their calendars right. as well. Um and and you live in Brighton, so is Shaman Drum one of the bookstores that you that you've also gone to many readings before and and heard yes. people through yes. through the years, or right? Like, and so it's going to be a very strange feeling to be standing and looking the other direction <laughs> rather than sitting in the audience. <laughs> right, right. Maybe you can ask for a chair. <laughs> I'm going to do this reading sitting in down. the round. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Mm. And and so. Um, with when you when you were mentioning that you also went to some writers conferences, Christine too, were those what kind what ones were interesting to you? What were the ones that that meant a lot to your work? Um, Western Michigan University used to sponsor a uh, an annual conference that was a, a three day weekend called the Third Coast Writers Conference. They no longer do, but that was wonderful. I've also um, I received some scholarships to attend some writers' conferences at Cranbrook, and that's where I met uh, Laura Kosciuszki, who oh, teaches great. here in Ann Arbor. And um, Was Laura one of the workshop leaders? Yes, and, yes. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, so, and, um, and then uh, through another uh, scholarship, I was able to attend a conference at uh, the University of Indiana in Bloomington, and I, that was a week-long conference where I studied with uh, Mark Doty, and that was incredible uh, and wonderful week oh it so, must have been yes. i can only imagine yeah, with um so. with the the workshops and then are some of the people that you were in these these, these workshops are are some of um are they people that you also communicate with maybe via email with with looking at poems still or or what's your community like in in brighton now is it the detroit metro uh, writers right i don't really have that locally in Brighton, a group, but through Detroit. And then, yes, I have met people at these workshops and kept in touch, you know, with some of them via email. It's it's a lot of fun. The, the virtual writer's community, right, it's, right. it's taking on its own importance in, in, in people's work lives, it seems like. Um, well, this, so you're going to be, this Shaman Drum is uh, the, the first in the, of the readings for Wild Flight. Uh, I had a couple in the spring. I read at the Detroit Scarab Club and um, and at the Brighton Library, but this is uh, the first Ann Arbor debut. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. And then we'll get the scoop on some of the poems uh, at the, at just when we come back. Okay. Um, and, and then you're going to be in Texas, too. Right. In November, I'm... Uh, I'm being sponsored on a mini book tour. so And so you can check out Christine's website. It's christinerine.com. And um, Christine's last name is spelled R-H-E-I-N. So christinerine.com. And I loved it. You said it's Rhine like wine. So <laughs> good an way easy to way to remember it. <laughs> okay, so you're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel today, Christine Rhine, and we'll be right back.
Good afternoon. I'm T. Hetzel. You're listening to Living Writers. And today on the program, Christine Ryan is here with her book of poems, Wild Flight. Um, Christine will be reading at Shaman Drum next Tuesday, September 23rd at 7 p.m. So you can catch her in person there at the bookshop. Um, and now, um, Christine, will you mind uh, giving us a poem for the, the airwaves? Okay. Well, I'm going to start with the poem that um, that won the Lawrence Goldstein Poetry Prize and also was featured in the Best New Poets 2007 anthology. Uh, so maybe could call it my greatest hit. Um, oh, that's great. But, okay, um, we'll start there. And and Larry might be listening, so that would be really if nice. If you are, too. hi, Larry. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, the poem uh, came from a question that actually I heard on, on This American Life, and it's Ask at a Party. And, uh, and the question is, if you could have a magic power, would you like to be able to fly or have the ability to be invisible? So uh, there are many ways to answer this question. I have found since writing the poem that people have very strong feelings about their <laughs> answers. <laughs> anyway, so, um, so here, here goes my take. One of those questions, just made for parties, I suppose, our host Dave breaking up the corners of laughter, corralling us in front of the fireplace. If you could choose... Would you rather have the power of invisibility or flight? The sudden ticking clock meant we, good guests, were mulling over options, striving to be right or clever, except for Sarah and Melanie, who weren't afraid to shout, flight, and me too, eager to get back to food, wine, a little flirting, unlike their husbands, Bruce and Pete, preferring the fantasy of the question to the fantasy of the party, everyone dressed up and aglow, delving into invisibility, the chance to spy on their boss meeting with his boss or on stock market insiders, to linger in the middle of a women's locker room, ideas exposing the practical among us. Would our clothes be invisible too? Could we carry food, a cell phone, not get run over? And can the whole invisibility thing be turned on and off at will? Dave, resolved into a mute observer, sat grinning, shrugging, even when Roger persisted. No informed decision can be made without knowing if we would be invisible to radar and heat signatures. Also, if light passes right through you, it wouldn't hit your retinas, thus rendering you blind. Clearly, flying is the logical choice. Bruce wasn't about to give up on that locker room. How fast and how far can one fly? What about bird strikes or being sucked into jet engines? Besides, if I were invisible, I could board any plane I wanted to. Sarah rolled her eyes. The point of flying, my dear, isn't to get somewhere, but to soar, to be free, to see the world anew. And Marcy sighed. Being short is almost like being invisible. So is getting old, said Tom. Even when you're six feet tall. Sad, how locker rooms and diamond heists didn't occur to me. How I only thought about tickling or kicking a politician while he's on TV. About cleaning my gutters by floating. Guess I'd like both powers. 
Roger started in with his tisk-tisking noises. Well, if we're going to break the rules and dream, then I want useful powers. ESP, the strength of Hercules, teleportation. Rather than telling him where he could teleport to, I said, I've never had one of those dreams where I fly. The whole room owed. Pity instantly signing me up. Flying. Imagine not ever having to worry about falling or rush hour. And maybe flight could somehow burn calories, too. Dave jumped up, swung his empty glass, his slurring words. You're all missing the point, and I can't believe anyone who claims to pick flying, because deep down everyone longs to be invisible, to figure out what people are really like, like when they're alone, like my ex, for instance, except she's not alone anymore, and... And Tom put his arm around Dave's shoulder, said, I know exactly what you mean. Don't you think it might be best to have neither power both with so many damn responsibilities, and don't we already have enough of those? Dave nodded, as we did, grateful to carry our plates to the kitchen, to the immutable apple pie and coffee we knew how to savor, like Dave's bear hugs later at the door, where he stood a bit teary-eyed, guiding our arms into heavy, wingless coats. Thank you, Christine. Thank you. So the the use of dialogue, <laughs> like to to get to to ratchet through the poem of ideas, that is great. Yeah, it was, that poem was a lot of fun to write. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the the method? Like, how did it did it come to you with those those voices? Well, I do owe quite a bit to the this American Life segment. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, you did say that. Right. (laughs) I think they mentioned the locker room. (laughs) uh, Anyway, but uh, it was fun to, you know, take some of their ideas and add some of mine. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is. It's interesting, too, because you have the I voice comes through there, um, but pretty much um, close to the end. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong from from listening and and only reading it once beforehand. So not. um, uh, Yeah. Quick study that I am. <laughs> um, uh, the voice you, the, admits to not like not having the flight dream. So that's the um, not being able to fly. Um, so right. it, it, that's kind of an interesting. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, your your the title of your book is Wild Flight, right? And and so and there's there's birds, yes, <laughs> birds in the book, and right. birds in our music for today. Right. All, all all song selections made by Christine Rhine, um, very very kindly put on a CD by her husband, I think. Yes. Um, so so what is. Uh, can you explain a little bit about that? I know it's got to retain a lot of the mystery, and it's what other people will make of it. But this connection to flight and flying, and, and is it just coincidence that this, the I speaker in that poem was the one that said, I've never had that dream of flying? Well, that poem was written um, as the book was um, well into the manuscript process it was really coming into shape and and uh, so some of the earlier poems I guess um, one of my poems mentions uh, the wild flight of fireflies and so when I was working on the manuscript and um, 
struggling somewhat to come up with a, a, a cohesive theme and finding the right title. Um, Wildfire suddenly uh, stood out, and I realized that I that birds have this habit of working their way into some of my poems, and um, and also because I um, some of the poems deal with um, human flights and escapes and freedom. Um, I um, I realized that that title could could work for it. Um, Multiple levels, right? Then, yeah. Right. So I, I love that moment where um, the I think maybe the last poem in the book or or near the end where you say not another bird poem. <laughs> yes, that is the last poem. That's a great book. line. <laughs> so. But then why not another bird poem, right? Um, yeah. So so you I also noticed. Um, well, let's actually this. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself there with that one. Let's talk about organizing a, f a first book, if you don't mind, because you said it was a bit of a struggle. So, right. Um, um, because the poems were written over many years. How um, many? What is the course of time here? Well, there are a couple in the book that you know, were written early on. I mean, revised a lot. But So I've been writing for about 10 years. Um, uh, and then I guess about, I don't know... Uh, four years ago, I um, started putting, you know, starting started to work on the manuscript and um, and would work on it off and on. Um, and had you already been sending out individual poems yes, at this point, right, Christine? Right, okay. I had poems published had some, in magazines. Okay, right, so, so had positive response. Exactly. Too. So okay. yeah, so that that helped. And uh, um, and for me, um, I. Ended up finding five epigraphs and um, and sorting the poems by those epigraphs. So the book has five sections that deal with different aspects of of flight, I guess, and and nesting and uh, and even there's even some science in one section. Anyway, so it's a wide variety of things. And did you feel, um, like when you were looking at the poems, they started naturally separating into these five sections, and is that why then you began to look for epigraphs that you felt would go with those sections? Is, is Yeah, some of it happened, you know, at the same time. I mean, uh, I started to look for the epigraphs, and then as I found them, yeah. you know, the poems. It's, it's hard to, and looking back, it's very hard to explain. Exactly. What am I getting at here with these questions? Yeah, because once you, it's almost one of those things, like once you start, when you become aware of something, no matter what it is in in life, right? Maybe it's um, Dalmatians or something. Well, that's, I don't know. But then you suddenly see Dalmatians everywhere, don't you? Or or there's um, right. dog and it, training, and then you see it. Uh, and it was the first epigraph that I came across, what became the first epigraph that really uh, made me think about Finding more, and and um, because the the poems in the first section uh, deal uh, in large part with my father's experiences as a child in World War II, and so um, the it's a famous quote by Charles Simic: "My travel agents were Hitler and Stalin," and I realized how that could introduce the subject, and then how other epigraphs would help. Uh, I'll introduce other eras because the the poems are over a wide theme. My new work, um, if if I am uh, hoping what will become a second manuscript is has a has a theme, so it's maybe going to be a little easier the second time. I'm going off in a very different direction. Poems about 
Love, Sex, and Technology. <laughs> so, yeah. And is that the working title? The, the working title is actually Naked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> David Sedaris just like, his or, ears just perked up or out maybe, there. <laughs> maybe, maybe Naked naked and Other Poems. Okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, that sounds great. Uh-huh. Well, I'll tell you what. Well, why don't we leave it on that note for the moment, Christine? Because, I mean, where do we really go from there, right? <laughs> right. So, um, if you're listening to Living Writers. Uh, I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Christine Rhine with her book Wild Flight and we'll be right back. All my sisters you better listen to me never trust the heart of a man tell you he'll crush you just like a sparrow hurts so bad you never mend now he'll vow to always love you swear nobody else will ever do then he'll leave you you'll leave you for another Hetzel, you're listening to Living Writers um, on the fabulous WCBN FM in Um And today in the studio, Christine Ryan is here with her book of poems, Wild Flight. Um, and this music is great. Thank you so much for. Oh, I for, had a lot of fun picking it out. So <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm almost like m- mini DJing for for a moment, right? Right. right. <laughs> um, yeah, well, maybe we'll talk about the reason why for some of them towards <laughs> towards the end. But maybe people already have caught on. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's a puzzle. <laughs> um, 
So, so let's talk about the first section of your book, um, Christine, and we'll we'll go back um, m- a little bit uh, later on. Let's talk about your new work and get to some some of that. Okay. Um, but but you had mentioned uh, writing uh, your 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 father writing um, about um, and. Let's talk about politics in poems and and how that's done, how that works, because it seems like with the first poem you read us, that's about almost the politics of daily life, isn't it, in some way, like how people are navigating in their world and being in it. And having strong opinions. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, uh, well, yeah. (laughs) God bless politics, (laughs) especially this time of year and (laughs) marching towards November. But but now um, politics, you include. Um, history in your book, and and as well as um, uh, more current events, right? Type, there, uh, there's moments a, right, there's with a, you in a newspaper or a photograph of a Sierra Leone young man without hands, or just to, as an example. Um, or, but, the, or the work by the Ann Arbor Company about um, identifying the remains of 9/11 victims. Um, yes. So. And, um, and what is the new machine called? Um, it's, it's, it's actually um, there. Um, it's an acronym, pronounced emphasis, and it's uh, software to help with the DNA sequencing. The emphasis. So. Emphasis on what you've already lost somehow, right? I don't know. Right. Um, but exciting that it's taking place here, this new um, um, way. Right. But I do think that the the book really started to come together after 9-11 because I'd, I'd started to write poems about my father's experiences, and then... With everything that's happened in recent years, it just drove home the point that the things in the world haven't changed as much as I think, and it made his history and what he experienced not seem so ancient. I mean, part of that is getting my me getting older too. But uh, when I was a, a child, World War II did seem like ancient history, and now I realize. And, and in books or movies, right, right, and. Um, and so, you know, and once again, we have, you know, a, a, a very few people, depending, you know, whatever incident that you look at, that are the few people in charge, that it ends up um, cascading and causing so many lives to change or, um, and so much suffering. So, uh, so the parallels um, between World War II and current day wars, you know, uh, did come out in the book. Yes, and it's interesting how um, it seems like with the structure of the book, you have the beginning section um, really inhabiting the world of your father in some way, in ger- we're in, in, in Germany or in the, the repercussions of um, uh, the Nazis and the, and the subsequent um, also that the liberators that come in that aren't so... Um, uh, liberating for the people who the innocent civilians or the the people who are living there and um, and then you end with a poem where you're actually making um, splices with um, an Iraqi soldier's uh, a bird birding a bird observations um, with right the, that's with the, the closing poem of the yes. book right so right so that's a nice uh, well not <laughs> oh isn't that pretty not in that way right. but it's it's um, another de- depth added to the book so so let's let's hear one of the poems uh, if you don't mind Christine about okay. your the fa- your father and uh, his family I'll just say in way of introduction that uh, when I began writing about my family history and the experiences that have been passed on in stories um, 
I wasn't sure that people would be interested, and um, and so it's 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 um, been moving when uh, to find out that people are indeed interested, and in this and in this poem, I explore well, making one of those connections. In the women's room. Because I was washing my hands when she came through the door and talked to my reflection, I really liked the poem about your father. Because when I nodded thanks, she pressed on. I want you to know I'm Jewish, that I've lived in both Israel and Prague, that I've never heard about any German suffering. Amazing, no? Because I couldn't answer. Remembering my stomach filled with stone, shame in high school history, the film projector spinning endlessly through night and fog, the black and white camps, bones, speeches I didn't need subtitles to understand. Because I tasted the grit again, the fluorescent lights harsh, honest as her emotion. And I want you to know it helps me somehow that German civilians suffered too, even children like your dad, because I knew what she meant, because it still made me angry, because she had never seen my father's face, its map of worry, his short stature from years of meager food, because she called my poem important, because it can't be because she urged me to write more, because more overwhelms when my father recollects, spreads to his father pressured to join the brown shirts in 1935, quitting after the leader turned in his own brother for anti-Nazi talk, a neighbor never seen again, because my grandfather couldn't escape his birth year of 1896, a second drafting into another world war capture in winter Russia, where he lay sick and starving, three men to each straw mattress. Because there's no comparing the Russian camp to Auschwitz. Because my father once walked through a train station, past a boxcar of whispering please, Vasa, Vasa. Because he couldn't figure out why no one else heard why no grown-ups fetched water. Because on his way home, he forgot all about it. Because I will never meet her father, grandfather, know their tales, the ones she said are always about the Holocaust, persecution, what the old people talk of, even at weddings, funerals because it would have sounded dumb to tell her my father wept at the movie Fiddler on the Roof, the slow procession out of the village, a way of life, to explain how in 1946 the towns and streets were renamed behind him, cemeteries raised. Because in the glare of the mirror, my head even with hers, she offered maybe it will be our generation who gets past the pain because she was younger than me, because I was tired, because tonight in a kink of fluke or fate, 
I watch my son play Tevya on his high school stage, in kippah and prayer shawl, singing of tradition, heartache, glasses raised to life. My father at my side, his foot tapping along in time. I wish I had reached out my hand, asked her name, looked her in the eye before I left that restroom, returning to the crowd. Thank you. Thanks, Christine. And that was um, in the in the women's in a restroom in, right in, after in a reading, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yes, I I think that I I can reading these the beginning the first section of your book I definitely had a very interesting experience because my last name is Hetzel and so I'm uh, also aware of that that feeling of. Um, either some some shame connected to that or um n- not i don't i don't know um that feeling of not considering i think that that there like it like maybe it's not even okay to consider that there was suffering that was happening in the in the the german population and and you talk in other parts of your book that um uh, where the boundaries even shifted, so the home that your family couldn't even return to their home because it had become, I think, part of Poland. Right, right. And so all these these other things that become sort of it's not part of, um, it's not the top story in history. And so gradually, only a few people remember it. Right. right. And plus, I think in Germany that Germans didn't feel very comfortable talking about any suffering after the war. Really, it's only been in recent years I've heard through relatives that they've started to make some documentaries about um, some of the things that my father experienced, such as having to flee on foot in the winter from the Russians and how many people died in that fleeing and things like that. Mm -hmm. So... yeah, because once you're you're at atrocity, then it's uh, how do you right. weigh the right. other uh, atrocities right. and the fallouts from the atrocity? You, you know, it's right. yeah. Well, so that I just wanted to tell you that too that that was um, I could in a way uh, also understand why that woman came up to talk with you in the bathroom. So yeah, being a poet now you have <laughs> interesting restroom experiences. <laughs> well, let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's already enough in the news, isn't yes, it? Things yes. like that. Um, so yeah, so this is one way of talking about. But so the politics um, are also part of the personal for you, which is not something new. That's what your your publicity material says. And is that something you feel comfortable with? Um, sort of like that's that's what this book part of that book means to you as well, Christine? Or are you just like, ah, seriously, folks, they're poems? Um, I mean, as far as the political aspect, um, not all that comfortable. Uh, no, it, it's, it's not a, you know, here's my viewpoint type thing. It's just a, uh, these are the things that we're all, st- all struggling with and the, as far as the, the political themes that are in some of these poems. So, well. So, but in a way, it's it's the observations that you have. Then it's wonderful because they're because um, some poems that are sometimes grappling with politics as well. If it's too overt, they can kind of uh, be alienating in a certain way. Um, but but these don't feel like that. 
That's good. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. that's why you won this book prize, <laughs> perhaps, right? <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to take a short break. Uh, you're listening, um, and thanks for listening, everybody, today to Living Writers. Uh, Christine Rhine, poet Christine Rhine, is here with her book of poems, Wild Flight. I'm T. Hetzel, and we'll be we'll be right back. Hi, we're back. You're listening to Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today in the studio, Christine Ryan with her book of poems, Wild Flight. Um, and up, uh, coming up next in 15 minutes, we've got the sports team too. So they're they're coming up. And thanks again to Hugh for engineering, and and also for Alex for being here to keep an eye. And um, thanks for everyone listening in Ann Arbor to us, and um, and for uh, and for Christine coming to read the poems. Oh, thank um, you. It's a pleasure. Uh, well, it's great to have you here. I almost feel like well, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> but no, we've got some time left. Um, so. Uh, so, so I noticed in the book, Christine, when I was reading through, that I wondered, what's your take on poetic forms? Because it seems like you're interested in them. Um, yes, uh, I, I have a couple of um, pantoums in the in the book. I, I and I have done some other uh, poems and forms that didn't make it into this book. A couple of sonnets and a sestina. Um, but I also. Um, enjoy some more experimental forms too so for instance the the poem you mentioned with that uh with the iraq soldiers birding uh excerpts um you know some some weaving together like that of uh we're kind of creating a dialogue between poem and found information 
Um, so um, so I, I, I guess I, I enjoy writing in a wide style. So Yes, and then and before when we were talking, you were mentioning that the the new work, the manuscript that's taking shape right now, is is wildly different too. Are you using forms for that or are you doing more of the, the found material in that or what um, what are some of the differences you're noticing? And I know I'm we can't hold you to anything because it's still transforming. <laughs> right, right. Um, I, I guess I'm not sure right now as far as form so much, but it, a lot of found material. I guess just because there's there's a wealth of it out there right now. For instance, uh, the the what might become the title poem of the book Naked is about um, a sushi model who is um, uh, hired to um, be the serving platter uh, for uh, sushi at, at men's clubs and sometimes uh, at restaurants or at parties anyway. I knew nothing about this before, <laughs> but the New York Times has written about it and, uh, it, and I ended up writing a poem from the sushi model's point of view. And, uh, and then I have a funny poem about uh, pole dancing because you just hear about that everywhere all of a sudden. And You uh, do? Well, <laughs> what are your sources, Christine? <laughs> well, the thing is, I'm out of the sleuth. The thing this is that I don't, I don't have cable TV, and so I didn't know anything about it. And then um, all of a sudden, you <laughs> she know. She looks really innocent right now, for those of you who can't, uh, can't see her. But then it's mentioned in, in the Detroit Free Press and... Um, and on all things considered, you know, Chinese women are learning pole dancing anyway. So I had a oh, lot of fun or writing even that. It's, people are saying that it, they're taking it as a form of like instead of jazzercise right. or yoga, exactly. you take pole dance. Right. I have heard of that. <laughs> and, and again, I didn't know what it was until all of a sudden I was hearing about it everywhere. And then I have a, a, a poem coming out in winter in Michigan Quarterly Review um, about the um, the virtual world of Second Life. So uh uh, Larry Goldstein said that it, this might be the first computer-related poem that Michigan Quarterly Review is publishing. So, uh, ah. so that was also interesting to write about. Um, and you know, when we were off air, Christine, you mentioned how engineering isn't so different than the making of a poem. Does that is that something that that fits here, like with your the virtual reality and the the the? Com- yeah. Well, I I do get asked quite a bit about. Um, you know, engineering and poetry, they seem like such diverse uh, pursuits, and, and they are. Because people um, say it's even in different parts of the brain, right, and habit. Uh, right, but um, but I, I tend to see more similarities because um, a poem, like a car, um, has many features and components that have to work together just so to power the poem and to give the reader the best possible experience or ride through the poem. And um, and so there's a lot of, you know, after that initial inspiration or idea, there's a lot of design work and trial and error and problem solving. And so I, I tend to see... Um, Tend to see similarities in the two things. Okay, so so the process uh, involved in engineering, like that, the process itself, the machinations right. is uh, like not un. Yeah. But then, of course, there are those wonderful imaginative leaps and surprises, and and in writing, and that's what you know really rubs a poem up. You know, when you t- turn off that logical part of the brain, too. So uh, did, it's give and take. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever feel that that was something that um, 
you had to sort of you you had to look that in the eye in a way or say resist um bringing a logical um I, I don't know, like approaching the poem and, and as, <laughs> as a mechanical engineer, I don't know. Um, what, did you ever feel that or were you feeling just so excited? Because I, when I'm imagining you're coming to this, it just seems like um, a, a whoosh of, of, of realizations that started happening. So it became a whole new, new Right, but I did have a lot to learn, and uh, in your question, it made me think about a piece of advice that Bob Hickok gave me early on, um, and he said, well, when you're writing and you feel yourself going down a path that you anticipate, that you know, well, this is usually the path I... Just force yourself. Say, no, I'm not going there. I'm going to go someplace else. Yeah, step and, sideways. And, uh, it, it takes a while to learn how to do that, but uh, but that's really where the where the fun and the discovery and the eureka moments come from you know so yeah. oh well do you think you'll um because it seems like you're you're a poet that's working from observation you know very k- keeping a keen eye out and incorporating um and almost like a magpie too in a way pieces right um but i'm wondering do you think there is there a book um that's somehow more closely related to mechanical mechanical engineering um you know, like a book where uh, things would be hinging more obviously on some principle, direct principles of that. Or, uh, I mean, any, is there yeah, any plans I'm, for that? <laughs> not yet. I'll, I'll give it some thought. But it's, uh, I've, you know, there are one or two poems in this book that have something to do with engineering, and and and, and those were pretty challenging to write. So I'm not sure about actually using it as a topic. I always thought maybe I should write some um, brewing poems, you know, like why not, right? There's, um, but yeah, sometimes it just doesn't seem to work. You can't force it until it's time anyway, right? Right. Um, so so you, you're not going to read the pole dancing poem for us, the um, new work? Are you, or, um, or, or, or the engineering? Well, which, well you, which would you like? You, um, you choose, because we've, we've, we've got, we've got, I'm very interested in that one, but I want you to read what you'd like to read. Well, the, the surprise <laughs> of this poem is now gone from the beginning since um, I said what it's about, but, um, okay, here, here goes, uh, with, with red face and all, um, <laughs> lately. Lately, I'm grateful to find myself well over the hill of 40, to be startled at my newspaper's casual mention of this age of suburban pole dancing lessons. And I know I'm just not with it, and that no one uses that term anymore, when I admit I choked on my coffee, especially since the pole dancing revolution is now all I hear about, And I'm afraid no matter how hard I try, I can't wrap my head around the appeal. All those women spinning and swinging, kicking it right out of the ballpark, unlocking the inner wild girl or the pole dance goddess. While I'm stuck with the same old me, when even the Wall Street Journal, no less, covers the business of rentable stripper poles for home parties, birthday parties, Breakup divorce parties, retirement parties, retirement parties? So that I can't help but wonder what I might be missing out on at 
pollforthesoul.com or in the Pulse of London, where a doctor prescribes pole dancing for reducing stress, where a mom of three is paying 150 pounds to have a pole installed in her kitchen to shimmy up and slide on down whenever she feels like it. And... While it may be that in my own kitchen I'm quite free to do the twist or even the hustle on my way from the sink to the stove, the best I muster is slipper scuffing the floor. And it's rather sad, it suddenly seems, that I might be jealous of the Chinese women interviewed on All Things Considered. Their instructor explaining how Steel tube dancing is one of the ten great folk dances of the world, created by American construction workers who sang and danced with steel tubes in their hands. Yes, jealous of Beijing teens and grandmas who don't know they're gyrating, undulating, flowing to the floor like honey, who aren't worried about what it means to be hot as they smile at their mirrored selves, the way I smile at the whole industry of accessories in the Times, the DVD on pole party etiquette, feathered boas, platform shoes with spring-loaded heels for extra bounce, and my growing ever flatter feet. Well, thank you, Christine. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Maybe you could add leather thongs to that <laughs> list. Maybe that's another poem. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. My, my great suggestions. Yeah, steel tube. I've never heard that either. That was really funny. And all thanks to construction workers. There's so many great things to learn um, from them. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's kind of nice to, to see the... Um, We've gone many places, I feel like, in this hour that's with your sure. poems. And, and I think that's indicative of the book as well. Um, people talk about that. Maybe that's why it was chosen. Because uh, you said this was a, a particular way that the book was chosen as well. Yes, unlike um, most contests that are open and advertised, um, the poetry editor, uh, Robert Fink, who um, he writes edits the intro. This series, oh. right, and he wrote the intro, um, uh, each year, uh, 10 journals provide a free uh, subscription to him. And so as he's reading through these journals, if he sees works, work he likes by a poet who appears not to have a book, he makes a note. And then at the end of the year, he comes up with a list of maybe about 20 finalists. And they receive a letter um, with about four months' notice um, asking for a, a, a manuscript if you would like to, uh, you know, try the competition. And so I received that letter in January of 2007 and uh, sent, the, sent, uh, sent the manuscript in. I received the letter and then I was, uh, sent the manuscript in May and shortly thereafter um, found out that, uh, that mine was chosen, that I won. And so then came what the... What a success story. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's wonderful. A, yeah. He's, he saw my work in, um, in the Southern Review. So that was very nice. I was very glad that I sent those Poems to the Southern <laughs> Review. <laughs> right, right. Yes, oh, so. definitely. Oh, well, congratulations. Yeah, that must have been something to get the letter first in the mail and then have that intense um, time to work right. on Right. Well, it. luckily, I had been working on the manuscript for a couple of years, so I you know, was able to give it that one final push and <laughs> yes. because I realized the odds were much better than some of these contests where they are 800 or 1,000 or more manuscripts submitted, so... Um, right. And the turnaround time, because if that was in January of 2007 and then the book came out 
in 2008. 2008 that's right. amazing because some people who are, are bringing their book to publishers, right? You're, you're in a queue right. and it takes some time even. Right. You might be accepted, but it's three years down the road. Right. So I, this is... A, yes, a, I've just been... Very fortunate in many ways in this journey, and this just adds adds to it. Oh, this is well. Oh. This is great, and and will um will this press also be? Are they specifically for the first books, or or will they also would they be someone you'd, you you'd work with, um for for the next book? Um, they they solely do the the Walt McDonald Prize. He is was a poet laureate of Texas and taught at Texas Tech for many years. But um but but uh, I think they will. Definitely keep my book in print, and I'll be looking for other well, publishers. Well, many congratulations. And, and, and Christine, thanks for being on the show. Thank you afternoon. very much. And uh, Okay, well, thanks thanks again to Hugh for engineering. Uh, you've been listening to Living Writers. Uh, up next, we've got the sports team uh, to tell you what's going on with the sports here at Michigan and beyond. Um, thanks to those listening in Ann Arbor, uh, to those streaming. Uh, hello, Florida and Seattle, Chicago. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. Under a blanket of blue Just you and I beneath the stars Wrapped in the arms of sweet romance The night is ours, yes under a blanket of blue Let me be thrilled by all your charms Darling, I know my heart will dance Within your arms Summer night is magic Enthralling me so it would be tragic if you weren't here to share my dear covered with heaven above let's dream a dream love or two wrapped in the arms of sweet romance under a blanket of blue under a blanket of blue Just you and I beneath the stars Wrapped in the arms of sweet romance The night is ours Under a blanket of blue Let me be thrilled by all your charms lined up in front of Brown. They're going to give it to him on that left side once again to the 50. Big hole of the 20. 25-30. 35-40. Look out. 45-50. It's a foot race. Down the sideline. To the 30. To the 20. Nobody's going to catch him. 10-5. Touchdown, Michigan. What a run by Carlos Brown. And welcome to the Daily Sports Report. I am your host for today, Andrew Side. I'll be joined here by uh, Christian Montgomery and Tyler. Actually, I don't know your last name. One second. What was it? Bruins. Bruins. <laughs> Bruins. Uh, 
Tyler Bruins, the new one of the newer members of the uh, the WCBN sports team, and uh, we will start the day with some Michigan news. So Tyler, take it away. All right, we got a bit of a slow day today, but the baseball schedule for the upcoming season was announced. Obviously, the season will start with the Big Ten Big East Challenge, the first time ever. Michigan will be taking on St. John's, Cincinnati, and South Florida on February 20th, 21st, and 22nd. Another highlight, March 13th, 14th, and 15th, we take on one of the best programs in the nation, the University of Arizona in Arizona. Uh, conference play starts March 27th, and we head to Iowa. And obviously, one of the bigger series, the rivalry, we take on Ohio State, May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. At the same time, we have a nice, a pleasant surprise for our football team. Uh, we don't get many of those.